So with Mark, I greet you. I'm Joel. It's a privilege to be here with you today. Please turn your Bibles to James chapter 5. We're about to hear the Apostle's final instructions to the church. He's going to tell us how the church can be a powerful yet safe and restorative community in a cold, cruel world. Let me give us an illustration to help us get the picture. Actually, back in 2017, you might have heard that our neighbor in DeKalb County made national news. A young boy named Phil Mick, he began to come home from school with bumps and bruises. And day after day, he would tell his mom, oh, I just fell down, or he'd make some other excuse about why he had these bruises. Then came the start of middle school, and Phil told his mom, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. He confessed to constant physical abuse, to verbal assaults on his person day after day after day. He didn't know what kind of savagery he was going to face. Finally chose to be honest with his mom about it. And he even admitted that he felt like taking his life many times. Not knowing what to do. Can you imagine me, mom? She went and told family friend Brent Warfield. And Brent said to mom, I got this. And he went straight to the school principal with a plan. The next day, the school buses arrived and all the kids poured out to start a brand new school year. And suddenly the ground began to shake. There's a sound of a Harley motorbike, then two, then three, then 50 big bikes. Can you imagine the sound? of 50 Harley motorbikes rolling into a school zone. The kids, their jaws dropped as they looked and watched that their school drop-off zone was being taken over by a biker rally. And suddenly, they saw him, their classmate, Phil Mick, jump off the back of one of these motorbikes dressed in the biker's colors. Brent Warfield had put his colors on this young boy. And these 50 bikers then escorted Phil up to the school entrance and all 50 of them laid their hands on this boy and they said a prayer over him. And they put every bully in that school on notice. You better not lay a hand on Phil. You know how this story ends. Phil's mom talked about how every day for the next several weeks he came home with an ear-to-ear grin on his face because he was just loving being at school so much. Mom said she hadn't seen this from him in quite some time, this kind of joy and happiness. It's all because Phil had a powerful praying community at his back. Everybody who walks through these doors walks in with a lot of things that have happened to us, things we struggle with. Some of you have walked in here today with a lot of trauma. Daily feelings of despair, hopelessness, bondage. And like Phil, you don't want anybody to know. Let's pray that you find safety and hope today. And some of us walk in here and we have no idea, we don't realize the power we have as a community at our disposal because of prayer. Let's pray that we not pass up on prayers possibilities. Let's really pray, all right? 
Loving Father, we come to you with greater need than we know or even will admit to. And today you're offering us a gift. Let us not pass it up. A new year lies in front of us and there are ways that we cannot continue to function if we're going to live as you've designed us to live and which also will glorify you. So I ask and pray that you'll investigate each and every one of our hearts. And if there be anything grievous in us, if there be any suffering, if there be any sickness, will you come meet us there and lead us on the path to eternal life? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. James chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So God put it on my heart to preach James 5 to conclude 2023 and also to begin 2024, and I'm starting to see why. And I pray God opens your eyes as well to see marvelous things here. Last week, James told us to be patient, to be steadfast, and not to grumble about one another. And remember how he ended that? With this commandment that seemed entirely unconnected, let your yes be yes and your no be no. James said we must be truth tellers. Be patient. Don't grumble against one another and tell the truth. James is setting the plate for this text right here, a praying community that can be safe and restorative. We need all three of those virtues if we're to be and stay a safe, restorative community for sick and suffering sinners. We have to be patient and steadfast, playing the long game with people who are really, really broken, not grumbling about them. You know what that does? And we have to be honest and take off our own masks. We have to be real about our limits, our struggles, our failings before others will feel safe to take off their own masks. You see, all around us are scared, hurting people searching for a safe place all around us. A few weeks ago, Jamie and I read a letter from the sister of a couple kids we used to foster. She was writing to the judge begging him not to send her younger siblings back to their bio mom. I will not describe the appalling abuse, the nightmarish neglect that we read in that letter. I will tell you that she said that she used to take her siblings to the park to get them to a safe space after she put long sleeves on them to cover up all their bruises and marks. 
It broke my heart and it encouraged me. It broke my heart because this is in every one of our neighborhoods. This is going on. How did it encourage you, Joel? It encouraged me because this brave young lady said, enough is enough. I'm going to someone with power to change this. And that, my friends, right there is the essence of what prayer is. You get it? Prayer is bringing injustice, suffering, evil to God, the judge of all the earth who will do what is right. Only God can fix our neighbors, our friends, our family members, and the folks sitting right here in this room. Let's be real. The world is beating the living daylights out of a lot of us. Many live their whole lives just covering our bruises and acting like we don't need God's help. And it's not just a 21st century individualistic American thing. It's actually ancient garden produce. Read Genesis 3. I talk about this almost every week, don't I? Where our first parents buy into the lie that we can live without God's help, without his instruction. The serpent said, you will be like God. And they go their own way. They eat the fruit. And instantly humanity was hijacked by sin, by sickness, and by suffering. Everything James mentions in this text right here. And what did they do next? After they ate the fruit and they saw their shame, they covered themselves up with fig leaves. And when Father God showed up to look for his children, his heart fell into his gut because they ran and hid in the bushes like that was a safe space and not him. And every one of us has been doing that ever since. But God sent his son Jesus into our world to walk in our shoes, to conquer enemies, and to create the church as a safe space where his children, God's children, could strip off their fig leaves and find healing and restoration. Heart City has the opportunity and ability to be a place of restoration for hurting bodies and souls all around us. But we must first adopt James' very simple formula, patience plus prayer equals healing. James actually said seven times in our last text, we need to be patient or steadfast. And now seven times in this text, James says, we need to pray and all of us, all of us. Notice it starts off with us individually. Is any one suffering? Let him pray. Oh, and then the elders. Guess what? They have a special ministry of prayer. But then all of us are called to pray in verse 16. James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James says, if we do pray believingly for the suffering, for sickness, for sin, we here will see salvation, forgiveness, healing, and great power at work. Anybody like those Harley motorbikes coming out of this place right here? Yeah. You want evidence? Look back at 2023. We saw more of God's work here than ever, and that directly corresponds with our commitment to start praying last winter regularly and constantly. So let's look at prayer's possibilities. Let's start here in the very first verse. The individual, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now this word for suffering is super broad in scope the Greek word here. It refers to sufferings that, from evils that come at you. It can also refer to depression, spiritual afflictions, mental anguish, 
feelings of dejection, rejection, simply being troubled. So now I ask you with James, is anyone among you suffering? Raise your hand. Those of you who aren't raising your hand, I'll just assume that you also are suffering from paralysis. And don't worry, we have a healing ministry in a little bit, okay? The fact is, right, we're all suffering here. All of us are. So each of us should be praying regularly. And when we're experiencing the flip side, when we're experiencing the good times, guess what? We're again to turn to God and sing him praise. James is the guy who began this book talking about pure religion, chapter 1. But pure religion also involves real relationship, going to Father God in all circumstances. And it's wonderful to read this here Bible as a personal invitation to come to God and know him really, truly, and intimately. Calvin actually says on this, there is no time, no time in which God does the Father does not invite us to himself. And James reminds us here, because it's actually in the extremes when we're most prone not to turn to God. I was actually reading a fellow named Agur in the Bible who wrote this prayer proverb. He says this, he says this to God, please, give me neither poverty nor riches, but only give me my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and thus dishonor the name of my God. Agur gets our condition. Since Eden, we are prone to turn inward in both the good times and the bad times. So Agur says, please don't give me either one. And some of us probably need to pray this. Don't pray for the lottery. What happens in suffering? The devil starts shooting those darts. We think God's abandoned us, right? We think, oh, now I gotta take care of myself. Someone hurt me, or I'm feeling bad. We think God must not care about me, that he's got a bunch of voodoo dolls up there and he's sticking our pin in us over and over. That's what we start thinking, right? There's often a constant temptation for folks I talk to who have mental illness. But to you, my friend, if you feel that right now, you know what the Bible says? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Jesus is a sympathetic savior who understands loneliness, who understands abandonment. God understands and he wants you to come to him. We're not prone to do that. There's temptation. There's also temptation when I'm feeling cheerful. I'm on top of the world. I'm skipping. Maybe I got promoted. Maybe I got a compliment. Maybe I got an award. I am prone to turn inward at that very moment instead of saying, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I'm prone to say, who's the Lord? Start singing our modern songs of self-praise. Because I am beautiful in every single way. Or we are the champions, my friends. Just that, right? James says, no, no, no. Don't turn inward, but turn outward individually in prayer and praise to God. And as you move towards God, you'll discover both his provision in your suffering and his presence in your successes. Now, there are situations that we're not to handle individually, but you're to go to the elders. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has sinned, committed sins, he will be forgiven. So how many here knew that Heart City Church had a ministry of healing? 
Oh, nobody. Okay. James assumes that we should know that the church is a hospital, a fortified hospital, the quote Sam. Thank you, Sam. And actually here, I know Dr. Rex is actually sick today, but actually here, I am as qualified as Dr. Rex when it comes to healing. When you're sick, you should call for the elders, for us to come, for healing, for anointing with oil. Now, please don't call me at midnight if you got the sniffles or a tummy ache, okay? But you ought to be calling me when you have serious medical needs. You heard two weeks ago, Sandy, right here in the second row. She testified how a softball-sized abscess completely disappeared. I went to the hospital and I became God's instrument of healing. Praise be to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I'd like to see more of this. Not that I want any of you to get sick or really sick. That's not my point. But wouldn't it be great to have a reputation for our healing ministry here at Heart City Church that the sick get healed? In fact, it's the same reputation the church in James Day had. Because in James Day, you know what they did with sick people? They took them out of town and left them on the street. Or if a plague came, what would they do? Everybody who had wealth, they'd flee the city and leave the sick to die. Historian Rodney Stark has written a whole lot about the primary reason the church grew in the Roman Empire was because Christians had faith in a God who heals and they cared for the sick. And friends, sickness is part of the curse that Jesus came to destroy. I want to give a little bit of detail here. James says there's three components to this healing ministry. First, you have the elders called to pray and anoint with oil. Second, must be a prayer of faith. And third, there's forgiveness of sins. So let's take them in order, starting with anointing oil. Anointing oil is a continuing practice, both spiritual and medicinal. It's spiritual because you anoint. You hear about this in the Bible all the time. It means to consecrate someone apart for God. But oil was actually medicine in James' day. In Mark 6, James, Jesus tells the disciples to go off and anoint the sick with oil. How about the story of the Good Samaritan? Remember the guy who's all beaten up and bandaged? What does that guy do, the Samaritan? He pours wine and oil upon his wounds. What does the wine do? Uh, it actually kills the germs. Yeah. What does the oil do? Yeah, it's a healing. It's like macetration for them back in that day. James is saying that we are to use all our resources to help the sick, both spiritual resources and medical resources. We give people medicine while we pray for them. And what we're simply saying in that moment is, God, please heal them however you want, with whatever means you use. Grace is not opposed to nature. I love doctors. I'm at the hospital all the time. That leads now to our second point, the prayer of faith. And there's a whole lot of confusion about this. I actually grew up in Christian circles where we would go see faith healers who would perform publicly in large arenas. And the healer, what would he do? He'd order demons to flee. He would rebuke sickness. He'd command people in wheelchairs to rise. That's not what James describes here, is it? This is a private thing. The elders go to that person, not a public scene. And while Jesus and his apostles, they do rebuke and command, the New Testament church is never told to do that. James and other apostles tell the church to pray. Prayer is not ordering or commanding or rebuking. Prayer is helplessly requesting because we need God to act. So no, I don't believe those faith healers are doing the Lord's work. But if one will actually leave the public arena and go with me on rounds at the hospital where there are sick and dying people, I might, I might reconsider. 
how I've dealt with the prayer of faith is not. Uh, let me consider what it is. And Hebrews 1 tells us what faith is. It is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is trusting God who we can't see. Convinced that he cares for us and that he keeps his promises. Faith looks away from us and what we can do to God being able to do what we cannot because he has all power. What does God promise here? To save, not heal necessarily. Notice how James is careful. He does not say God promises to heal all sickness. He does sometimes, yes, he does. Thank you, Sandy, for your testimony. But not always. God wouldn't remove the thorn from Paul's side. How come Paul's writing to Timothy about this stomach sickness and saying, take wine for it? God didn't heal them because he had a better plan. Could you handle it if God had a better plan not to heal you? Some folks want to have healing so badly, have more years on this earth. They're so fixed on this earth instead of the greater thing. Remember, though, what James said in chapter 4? I know it was a long time ago. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. Friends, you may regret it if God heals you of your sickness today. Hezekiah, the Old Testament guy, this king, he heard that he was going to die of his sickness, and he was so upset. He's like, pray, God, please, 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 I don't want to die. Please give me more time. Please, 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 please. And God answered his prayer. Gave him 15 more years. And I've heard people say, I want 15 more years. God, God, please give me 15 more years, just like Hezekiah. If Hezekiah were here, he would say, you don't want what I got. Keep reading his story. Most people don't do that. The next 15 years of Hezekiah's life are horrible. The very next chapter, he makes the biggest mistake of his life and invites the Babylonians in to see all the treasures in Jerusalem. And Isaiah the prophet shows up and says, you know what those people are going to do now if they know what you got? After you're gone, your people are going to suffer horribly. They're going to knock down the walls. How would you like to live with that? Oh, and if Hezekiah had died of his illness, Manasseh wouldn't have been born. Who's Manasseh, Joel? <laughs> the wickedest king in all Jerusalem's history. And Hezekiah actually co-reigned with him. He witnessed Manasseh's takeover and the beginning of the ruin of all his reforms. He maybe even saw his own grandchildren sacrificed. That's how bad Manasseh was. You want God to answer your prayer for healing? You think you have a better plan for your life? You don't know what tomorrow will bring. I think we're prone to think sickness is our biggest problem. I would say that because sometimes our congregational prayers tend that way. I think the other reason is because we've gotten so good at hiding our real issues behind the fig leaves, our sin, our shame, our suffering. Notice our third thing, the forgiveness of sins. It's interesting, he puts this at the end of verse 15. Isn't that interesting? A person calls the elders because they're sick and their sins are forgiven. James assumes that there's going to be confession of sin when you go see the sick person. Now let me tell you what James is not saying. I'll repeat it twice. If you're sick, it is not necessarily a result of you sinning. One more time, so nobody gets me wrong. If you are sick, it is not necessarily the result of you having sinned. Everybody got that? But sometimes it is. Sickness came into the world as a result of the first sin, right? And when you don't live in God's world as he designed you to live, it impacts your body. I'm finding this out more and more at the hospital as I see the illness of a person and then I hear their story. 
It's obvious, right, when someone is an alcoholic and they're drinking and then their liver's going bad, right? That's real obvious. What happens when someone tells me the story where they wouldn't forgive and they chose to be bitter? Or they decided, I don't need God, they don't want to trust him with their needs, and they live then with anxiety and fear. Ever heard of psychosomatic illness? Oh, that's all in their head. No, it's not. It's real sickness. I've met the people with ulcers, migraines, asthma, hypertension, skin issues, illnesses that come from undealt with spiritual and emotional issues. Now think about this. I'm 48 years old and I've watched our cultural slide. Things that used to be unthinkable to do are now commonplace and nobody thinks anything of them. Think of the rise in immorality and think of the corresponding rise in sickness, disease, and the mental health crisis of our day. Getting heavy, isn't it? See my point? You also see why James says physical healing can often start with spiritual healing. With spiritual healing. Removal of sin, confession of sin, and removal of sickness are often connected. So when you are sick, the first thing you need to ask yourself is not where's my aspirin, where's this, but rather is this because of sin in my life? It's actually the perfect time because when you're flat on your back you can best see your need, right? Sometimes our good shepherd makes us to lie down, to humble us. That's from Psalm 23, you guys know that. The author was the great King David, right? Think of all his accomplishments. Thinks, you know that David was a liar, a deceiver, an adulterer, likely a rapist, and a murderer. Yet David is known as a man with a heart after God. Why in the world? Because David was constantly coming to God and confessing his sin. I took our confession of sin. Actually, I took our, our preparation, right? A couple of Psalms of David. Psalm 51 was the confession. That's his, right after his sin with Bathsheba. And David confesses his spiritual condition, his sinfulness. And he talked about God actually crushing his bones, his physical condition. Psalm 32, which we read about his strength being sapped, right? And he's confessing his sins. Read Psalm 38, where David talks about festering wounds. He talks about back pain. (laughs) All connected to his sin, to his many sins, which he keeps confessing and bringing to God again and again. That, my friends, is why David was called a man with a heart after God. Not because he was sinless, not because he was sickless, not because he was not a sufferer, because he had Saul, I remember. David was a man after God's own heart because he stripped off all his fig leaves before God again and again and again. He exposed himself. He stopped hiding and exposed himself in all his real rawness. And David discovered God's healing, his forgiveness. He found, Lord, that God had so much grace that was always greater than all of his sin. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. Friends, we need to see that God is not repulsed by us when we come out of the bushes and confess our sins. God is delighted when his children come out so he can manifest his healing gospel power. Listen to one theologian. He says this, God does not deal with sin by ridding our lives of it as if it were a germ or mice in the attic. God does not deal with sin by amputation as though it was a gangrenous leg. 
leaving us crippled. Holiness is a crutch. God deals with sin by forgiving us. And when he forgives us, there is more of us, not less. You get that? When we confess sin, there is more of us, not less. We tend to think that the healthiest Christians are those who are so righteous they have less and less to confess. Right? The gospel says the exact opposite. Deep Christians, which is what our world needs right now, are those who confess all the time. As J.C. Ryle said, those who would build high must dig very deep. One of the saddest things about the American church is that most of us have lost confession and have focused almost exclusively on celebrating every victory and every win. But what our neighbors need is not more accomplished Christians. What our neighbors need is deeper Christians, deeper Christians who can confess and pray with others about sin, sickness, suffering. Notice here, this last part, James says all of us can be a part of the healing process. All of us, every single one of us here. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as is working. James is saying here is what Heart City needs is not Christians without sin, but Christians without secrets. I'm going to come back to this next week. I see you, I'm getting nervous. It's going to be a two-hour sermon. No, I'm almost done. But I want to give us a task and an illustration before I close. Do I have your attention? Everyone here in this room, we're covering up sins. Everyone here is covering up suffering. Everyone here might be covering, some people might be covering up sickness. The person sitting nearest to you may have bondage to sin that they hate and they're traumatized. Maybe they're having, where's one straw away from back being broke? Maybe I'm talking to you. And we probably all know people around us who fit this bill. People who are suffering, sick, stuck in sin. And so many people, without intervention, they're going to go to the grave, never knowing the healing power of confession. There's forgiveness, healing, and restoration available to any and all of us if we're willing to commit, if we're willing to pull up our sleeves, show our bruises, pull away a fig leaf or two, and ask a brother or sister for prayer. Imagine the healing possibilities of patience and prayer in a healing community here. We have a new verse of the month, the first of 2024. Are we excited? Yeah. It's a good one. Let's all recite together Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This verse helps us to understand the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith moves towards the Father, trusting he hears us and that he rewards those. He's got a heavenly storehouse that he wants us to just go and say, I need some of that for over here. I need some of that for over here. He's got a vault just filled with stuff for this earth. And he promises to reward those who diligently, that means actively, persistently, earnestly seek him. So let's be willing to share maybe one secret and seek God together. It's those who draw near to him. Those. Draw near to him with confession, believing that he will reward us. He will have a reward. 
So men, my challenge to you is to find one man and share something with them today. If you don't do it today, you probably won't do it this week. Do it today. One or two things and ask them for prayer. And women, find one woman to share something with and ask them for prayer. Find a mature Christian who can be trusted with that thing you've been hiding. And ask them how you can pray for them as well. And then spend some time in prayer this week and see what happens. I know some of you are scared at the thought of actually walking up to someone and sharing. One of two things is happening. Inside you, you're either feeling defensive, right? And there's a voice justifying saying it's not really that bad. It's not that bad. That's your flesh. That's your false self trying to keep your true self from being coming out, the real you. Or the other thing is unfaith. Unfaith is talking. Unbelief and doubts, screaming, don't even try. No, 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 no. You'll get hurt. It won't work. Don't let unbelief keep you from the reward. Take a knife to your unbelief. Stab it, okay? And start to find healing in your life. Matthew Henry said this. Unbelief is the sin underneath or behind every other sin because it is the only sin against the remedy. Hear what he's saying? Unbelief is behind every other sin you commit. It's the reason why some people go to the grave never experiencing restoration or healing. Don't let that be you and don't let that be your fellow Christian. Don't let that be your neighbor. Do you want to do something mattering starting 2024? God promises you hear that? The prayer of a righteous person has great powers in working. Some of you just said, ah, oh, I was getting all excited about prayer. Now Julie said, only a righteous person is going to. Oh, no. Friend, Jesus is the righteous person. Jesus came to earth and lived the life you failed to. And you're in him if you're a Christian. And he has an ear to your situation. And you know what this good friend did this family friend did he dressed you in his colors making you a righteous person you are part of Jesus crew all right we have great power to rumble and make this earth shake and Jesus is praying with and for us constantly interceding to save us to the uttermost read Romans 8:34 or Hebrews 7:25 and all we have to be doing is going in prayer for one another all right? Remember, you're riding with Jesus. Okay? And I know many of us are already doing that. So I'm going to close with an illustration of, just to encourage us that we can make a dent in our community. Before the sermon, we sang a song Mark was really happy about, happy about by a fellow named Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Yes, seriously, that's his name. He was actually an 18th century European bishop. He loved God with all his heart. He used to throw letters out of his love to God and let people collect them on the ground. His heart also ached for people who were hurting and helpless all around him. And he actually decided to use his wealth to form a Christian community in Hernhut, Moravia. It was largely made up with these refugees out of the Thirty Years' War. And he got them together to start this new Christian community where they could find healing restoration, and they wanted to pray for revival. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and revival broke out in 1727. And it spread to Europe, 
and people came to Christ and it started to eliminate slavery. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and missionaries went to Turkey, missionaries went to West Africa, missionaries went to South America and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and then it spread to America. And Zinzendorf himself came and met with Iroquois Indians under the oppression that they were facing and started missions there. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and Zinzendorf died and they prayed and they prayed and missionaries began to spread out worldwide and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and you may be saying Joel I get the point you said prayed a lot okay actually I don't think you get the point millions of people particularly those who are suffering and farthest from God were saved and it came because people believed that the world would be impacted by prayer and so they had non-stop prayer that people stationed every single hour and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed for 100 years nonstop. Everyone heard about this. They know all about the 100 year prayer meeting of the Moravians. But here's my final thing. How did this 100 year prayer meeting get started that changed the whole world? On August 13, 1727, after five years of hard, patient work of trying to create a faith community and it didn't seem to be working and everyone was just frustrated and angry at one another and mad and just tired of this, Zinzendorf got up, preached a prayer about the cross of Christ, the Lamb of God and his blood which brought forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit poured down and convicted everybody in that whole place. They began to confess their sins to one another for hours and hours on end. I'm sorry, brother, I did this. I'm sorry, sister, I'm sorry. And they staggered out of there just overwhelmed by the experience of God. The revival that kicked off a hundred years of prayer came as the result of one day of real and raw confession of all their sin and shame. So my question as we close, do we have the courage to discover the power of the gospel by exposing something we'd rather hide. Brennan Manning wrote this, this is my last slide. Anyone God uses significantly is always deeply wounded. On the last day, Jesus will look us over, not for medals, diplomas, or honors, but for scars. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come to you in prayer. And we confess our unbelief. We believe, help our unbelief. And help us to see our sympathetic Savior, our Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will lay your hands on us, that we might be healed and that we might be saved. We pray, Father, that you'll pour out your Spirit, that we may be convicted of those things that we've been hiding. Search us and know our hearts. And if there be any grievous way in us, lead us in the way everlasting. And may none of us here Go to the grave without discovering the joy and the glory, confessing our sins and receiving your healing balm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.